Blog Talk Radio. General Quarters, Security Condition 3. GQ, Security 3, sir. General Quarters 3, Intruder Alert. GQ 3, Intruder Alert. Good evening, everyone, and welcome once again to Madam Perry's Salon. I am your host, cruise director, and your pal, Madam Perry. You can call me Jennifer Perry, but I'm so happy to be here with another fantastic guest for you. And you know, um, last week we had Amy Holland on, and she was absolutely delightful. Um, just fantastic. She's on tour right now with her husband, Michael McDonald. So uh, you probably already have tickets. If not, get some. Go see them. They'll be a lot of fun as you probably know. Also, coming soon, uh, next week, I have Susie Spencer. Uh, Susie Spencer is an author, but I want to talk about several books, but one book I want to talk to her about is when she did about um, 18 years ago, and it was revised three years ago, um, about Andrea Yates. It's called Breaking Point, and uh, it's about Andrea Yates. If you remember Andrea and Rusty Yates, I think it was around 2001 uh, when she we learned that this you know, housewife and homeschooling mother um, drowned her five children. And so because I have some episodes coming up on depression and suicide, we want to talk to Susie about the role that something like psychosis or depression plays in things like this, like suicide or uh, what Andrea Yates did, which just seems completely outrageous and unforgivable, but um, when you go deeper into the story, you know, uh, she did suffer from severe postpartum psychosis, and there were many warning signs that people um, just seem to kind of choose to ignore. And uh, so we're going to talk to Susie, and then also Dr. Douglas Bremner is going to be back soon. And um, I think we're going to be talking about his book that explores the collect. Uh, the correlation between Accutane and suicide. But it's not going to all be uh, serious, too. We've also got Bootsy Collins coming up in a few weeks, and also Cheetah Chrome, uh, your favorite punk rocker from the Dead Boys, because he's been back on tour for a couple of years. And he was a guest here about two years ago, and Cheetah's going to be back. But tonight I've got another, of course, fantastic person. Oh, and by the way, if you're listening live tonight, which is July 3rd, um, on Blog Talk Radio, please click that follow button if you would, if you haven't done it before, or subscribe. Uh, as you know, you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast FM, Last FM, whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Please do, because the more you follow, and, and you have been, and people have been subscribing and downloading, and I appreciate it so very much. But you help me to continue to bring you fascinating guests. Uh, just like our guest tonight. And so let me tell you, 
probably already know him. He's a rather popular fellow. Um, he's a musician, songwriter, but he happens to have one of the longest-running and most popular podcasts uh, that's out today, and that is the Douglas Coleman Show, and he's right here in Madame Perry's salon, right here in the Genie Bottle. Douglas Coleman, welcome to Madame Perry's salon. Hello, how are you? Doing great, sweetie. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me on. I am delighted. And by the way, I apologize for the slow time. I know you had a lot of wait time. This is one of those nights. This may not happen to you because you're different uh, from me in that I broadcast live. But you, you're smart. You, you record ahead of time <laughs> and, and publish the show. Whereas tonight was one of those nights when it seemed like everything within the airwaves and electronica was working against me. So I apologize, and I'm grateful for your patience and. Looking forward to getting to know more about you because the more I learn, and you've had you've been nice, you've had some of my clients on your show, but um, and uh, they said every I always get these things. How was it? He's great. It was great. This was fun. So hey, good Um, because you know you are a seasoned interviewer and you know how to make people feel at home and and talk, which is a, a big part of this. But um, there's just so much more to you that, you that meets the eye. So since you didn't give me any list of specific talking points you wanted, I think we're going to go organic. And I'd just like to know um, where you'd like to begin. What about your musicianship? Because you've been a musician. You've been writing songs for a long time and even um, were beginning a career in music at one time. So why don't you take us back there? Okay, well, that's going way back, but uh, I started. <laughs> we'll get the way back machine, eight... okay? <laughs> we'll get the way back machine. I started when I was 18. Um, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts, and I moved to New York City with uh, stars in my eyes and uh, wanting to be the next uh, probably Elton John or Billy Joel because I'm a piano player primarily and a singer. And I hooked up with a band and we started playing in little clubs around New York City um, and some summer festivals out on Long Island. And we did that and things were really starting to go. We were getting a good following. Uh, What was really cool at that point was we were basically a cover band, but all of us were songwriters. There were the three main people in the band we all could write songs. So we had a lot of songs already when we got together and then we wrote some songs together. Um, People started requesting our original stuff at these clubs, you know, Mm -hmm. which we were really happy about because most of the time in those clubs, people want to hear, you know, what they know, but people Mm -hmm. actually started to come in and request request our stuff. So we were really happy about that. Um, And that went on for a couple of years. And then things happened in my life. The band seemed to not be going anywhere. People were getting a little frustrated. Uh, Then my father got sick and I had to go back home. Um, And he subsequently passed away. And then everything just sort of changed for me at that point. And I 
kind of put music on hold <laughs> for 20 some years <laughs> um, and got a, got a real job as it were. Um, but now I came back to it or I'm trying to come back to it. And then the radio show came out of the music. So that's kind of where we're at now. Well, you know, I read something interesting. And, and yeah, you know, so many people um, end up doing I mean, to, to have people, first of all, go up and request uh, a band's originals when they're used to going out and being, you know, being fed or, or just taking the covers. They want to hear what they know. That That's quite a compliment. That's quite a testament to the songwriting and performing skills of the band. Uh, and I'm sure you guys felt that. Oh, definitely. But even yeah. so... Even if you have that, that kind of skill and that kind of, uh, you know, you got the chops uh, as, as musicians, as writers, and you've got to be able to perform it in a way that engages people, you can have all that as you guys did. And still, it's not an easy, uh, not an easy business. And there are so many people that, you know, with the same talent that just said, you know, I just can't deal with this part. You know, whether it's, you know, you have to step back for some maybe family things or personal things you have to handle. But the business itself is something, you know, people don't understand why somebody would give, you know, give up a chance if they've got talent. But uh, just for people out there that don't understand, you know, just give an idea how many people you think or people about you know, you know, it, it really is legit. Yeah, about the business part. Well, okay. Um, I'm not sure that it's changed. You know, the, with the technology now, you can do a lot more online for your promotion. Um, back mm-hmm. then, the only thing you could do was to go out and hit the road and perform to, yeah. to make a name for yourself. You know, your music is accessible now online. Everybody's got a Facebook page and a Twitter page. But back then, you had to be seen. And hopefully, if you were lucky, you could get your song played on the radio. Radio was a lot more powerful in those days than it is now because there's so much more choice. Yeah. Um, But the business side, I don't know. It's, It's... Back then, everybody wanted to get signed to a to a label. That really mm-hmm. was what the goal was, and to make an album and to get it out there. So the the labels had it all locked up back then. This was before the internet. This was, uh, you know, in the early '80s. So that was really the trick: was if you got enough following as a live act that people started taking notice of you, the labels might come sniffing around thinking that, oh, well, these guys, you know, if we put an album out for them, uh, the album will sell. Well, we never got to the point, we did one recording, but we never got to the point where anybody was interested to sign us. And then we ended up kind of breaking up. But a lot of artists, aren't that good with the business side. Um, You know, they're really brilliant at doing the music and the songwriting and things. But when it comes to negotiating with record labels, 
concerning their baby, their songs, they get very sensitive mm-hmm. about them. And, and managers have a way of being able to talk to labels about your music as a commodity, as a product. And that's real hard for songwriters, some songwriters to do. Uh, mm-hmm. Because they say, oh, no, I don't like that one. It's not fast enough. It's not, there's no catchy point to it. There's no good bridge. And, you know, I've seen songwriters cry when, <laughs> when people have said <laughs> stuff like that about their songs. So uh, the business side is, you know, it, it's a whole other skill besides being the musician. It's a whole other skill to, to handle the business side. True, and um, and also, you know, we we read about the, or hear about the early um, artists in the beginning of the recording industry, and how so many of them got really ripped off in such a bad way uh, by the record companies. And that's something that never really slowed down. I mean, um, a lot of artists were uh, used and abused, sort of. You know, people made money off of them, and they were and oh, they were destitute, yeah. or still doing day jobs forever. Um, as I say, it's a very user-friendly business. Expect to get used. And then, though, I read uh, I recently read John Oates' book, Change of Season, and he even talks about how you know he he all of a sudden you know they're touring, they're million-selling records, and then one day he and Daryl Hall find out they're they're not only broke, they're in debt. <laughs> so it's like you know you think hey, these guys came along the later time, you know you would think that they would have a little more savvy than that but it, i mean i'm not saying they're stupid but still you know things happen whereas now i read now that everybody's got as, as you said you know people have uh and you can put your music online or you can have a youtube channel and uh people know how to you know get their own rights and stuff and how to get things uh, out to the people and you can do online concerts on something like concert window or whatever or, or on your social media uh I think a couple of years ago, a feature in New York Times said things like this, you know, the ability to to have your YouTube channel, to build your following that way, takes the power away from the uh, corporate side and and starts to slowly move it into the hands of the rank and file, the actual artist. And do you feel that way? Uh, I do. I do. I think that the technology has been great. We've had this conversation uh, on my show many times with musicians because I always like to get into this particular topic about has, you know, all the technology helped or hurt. Um, And to be quite honest, it's a double-edged sword. Like we were, like you were saying, now the artists can do everything themselves. You can record at home uh, the technology to make a really decent quality recording. Um, just you need a computer and a good microphone and you know some patience where before that wasn't possible in the 80s you needed to go into a professional studio um and then all of the promotional stuff is all online the bad side about it is that there's so much of it out there now that you still need some kind of a push to get you to the front page. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where the major labels still have some power because, yeah, we've taken away a lot of power from the major labels, but they still have the ability to promote somebody on a grand scale 
that the the little indie guy won't have. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like getting your getting your profile on the front page of iTunes. That <laughs> that's a, that's a <laughs> difficult task for uh, you know an indie artist to do. But the labels they have the power to do that. Um, one of the interesting things that you said that I wanted to just go back to was you said about uh, Hall and Oates that they found themselves in debt. The one thing that uh, some musicians don't quite understand when they sign with the label and they get the big advance, that's not a gift. That's a loan. <laughs> and if they put, if they put a hundred thousand dollars out and hand you a check, you think, oh, wow, wow, you know, now I'm a big superstar and I'm on the front cover of all these rock magazines and stuff. They want that money back before you ever see another penny. So if you don't sell any albums, you're going to owe them that money. And I think a lot of artists got in trouble. Jim Croce was another one who signed a horrible record deal and was paying for years. I mean, all the hits he had... Mm. Uh, unfortunately, unfortunately, he died so soon, but all the big hits he had for that short time, I mean, he wasn't making anything. He was just barely getting by because he owed the label so much money. Uh, it's a very sad story about him. But, uh, yeah, be careful if you sign with a label. Make sure you understand what you're getting yourself into because you can really get screwed down the road. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and and not in the good way. So it's uh yeah, it's it's uh like I said, user friendly. It's just uh and it's a shame the same to see people with so much going on and be so uh, and end up so broken and and then uh if if you read John's uh John O's book, he says Later on, when he's trying to, when he's playing and gigging with different people, every concert, you know, he's he's thinking about it. every time he strums a guitar, he thinks about he you know how much he's paying off of a debt somewhere. Of course, they eventually got attorneys, you know, on their side to help him get back some of the money. Uh, and then when he bought a farm, I think in Denver, was and his wife was starting to farm. He says every twang was like, okay, this will help me get that John Deere that I need. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every note buys a loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's funny. Uh, no kidding. Well, you know, now uh, one thing that um, I read on on your website too it said that you know, wish you went into the corporate world. You know, you um, because the, the music business was so frustrating. Uh, so you went into the corporate world, and then later you. You did that for 20 years and then went back. You say, you, say, you say you surrendered to the muse. You went back, left the job and the USA and moved to Thailand, which that's rather fascinating. I just want to know, is, you know, um, is this just a story made up by your publicist, you know, to garner interest? Or did this really happen? <laughs> you know? and, and how did you choose Thailand? I'm fascinated by this. Well, that's kind of a long story how I ended up in Thailand. But, yeah, I do live here um, part of the year, and then I'm in Las Vegas part of the year. But uh, I don't know. I I just felt like I really needed to go as far away as I possibly could to get my head clear. And it was funny because 
during the 20 years that I was working, I wrote two songs in that 20 years. That's all I oh. could come up with. Um, once I got out of there, I wrote about 10 songs in six months. And it was just, I don't know what it was, a blockage, <laughs> maybe. But, one, oh but once, I, once I could clear my head of all of that, see, it was impossible for me to do both. I just couldn't. I could either work, mm. you know, at a job, a nine-to-five, or I could be a musician, but I could not do both. I really admire those people that can do, you know, go work all day and then come home and go work in their studio. I can't do it. I can't switch yeah. my brain that fast. It takes me a while to sort of decompress. Um, but anyway, Thailand was really good for that. Um, and I wrote all these songs and I put them out. And then, but the one, the one problem for me was because I took 20 years off, the whole industry had turned upside down. I mean, if you think about I started this thing in the early 80s, and the early 80s wasn't much different than it was in the 60s, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still had to find a professional studio. You still needed uh, to get signed to a label to really get anywhere. You had to send your music on cassette tapes in a brown padded envelope in the mail to get it uh, to labels and things. I mean, it, it really was not that much different. When I came back to it 20 years later, it's all like what it is now. And I had a lot of catching up to do, <laughs> to say the least. You know, it was like a whole new game. So I did some recordings. I ended up with a great producer, uh, named Stuart Epps. He is quite famous. He, he worked with Elton John back in the uh, early days in the seventies. And he worked with, Oh God, everybody, Led Zeppelin, oh, yeah. uh, Bad Company, Robbie Williams. Uh, he's oh, Oasis was another one. So I was really thrilled that, that he liked my music and wanted to produce it. Uh, he produced four of my tracks that I did. Um, and then, can I segue this into the radio show now? Because this is how <laughs> the timeline sort of yes, happened. Yes, of course. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I, got all, I got these songs and I started learning the, the tricks of putting them out online and, and doing all of these things that people do now to promote their music. And one of the things that you do to promote your music as you go on radio shows. And so I started going on all these shows to promote my music. Some of them were really good and some of them weren't to be quite honest. <laughs> I, I didn't think that these, these people really, I mean, it's like I could do better than that. That's what I thought. <laughs> you know, I thought, well, you know, I think I could do a better job of this. So I started doing the show myself and originally just to promote other indie artists. And then the show kind of took off and I started getting authors and actors and uh, all kinds of different people coming in. So now, once again, I haven't done any music in almost three years <laughs> because the show has, <laughs> has kept me busy. 
Um, but you know, I, I don't, I don't really mind because I got a little frustrated again with the music industry because now, like I said, although you can do everything yourself, there's so many people in the room, uh, uh, that it's the same problem, only a different setup. You still Mm -hmm. have to get noticed somehow. And now I'm a lot older than I was and have a lot less energy. I mean, the idea of putting a band together and hitting the road like we did when I was 18 and now I'm 56 and I'm like, oh, no. Oh, God, I can't do that. You know, it just, (laughs) I don't have the energy anymore. You know, I'm fine to, to write and record at home and let the internet do the talking. But, um, I don't, I don't know, maybe my time has passed to do that kind of, you know, full blown full-time musician. I don't know, but I'm really enjoying the show because the show gives me an end to a lot of other people. And it's, it's a great way to connect with people. You know, yeah, I've had some it? people yeah. say, oh, maybe like filmmakers and, and said, oh, maybe we can use your music in our film, you know, but at least they know now that I've got music. And so it is a great way to connect with people. So I'm really enjoying doing the show. Um, I think I kind of digress and, there and from whatever creative. we were talking about. Oh, definitely. No, yeah. no. This is what this is what I wanted to know because, especially you, because I wanted you to get into Stuart S. Because and and by the way, if you're listening live and you want to talk to Douglas Coleman and you want to ask him a question, uh, just give us a call at six four six seven one six nine nine two two, or you can message in. Some people message in questions because they might be at a, at a at a big gig and they can't call, and that's cool too. We keep it, we know we promise them anonymity for that. But, um, yeah, because Stuart, you know, you began working with him. I mean, yeah, he's worked, like you said, with Elton John, also Chris Rhea, Bill Wyman, uh, Twisted Sister, um, I believe George Harrison, too, uh, uh, Kiki D. So many people. Uh, Paul Weller, whom I, you know, Paul Weller, I'm such a huge fan. But, um, yeah, how did you get, how did you connect with him, uh, strictly by accident. I put my music out on a website and he sent me an email back. He had a, a thing saying, you know, I produce indie artists and submit to me. And if I like you, I'll get back to you. And I sent one of my songs, just a rough demo track, piano and vocal that I did at home. And he emailed back and he sent me a nice little email saying, I really like this song. Uh, if you want me to produce it, I'd be happy to, you know, uh, just polish it up. Or if you want a full blown production, I've got other musicians uh, that'll be happy to play on the track. And, you know, mm-hmm. so we, we talked, I called him, we talked on the phone for an hour or so. And he's a really nice guy. He's a really terrific guy. And he actually has been on my show twice now uh, with all of the stories of Elton John. And uh, it was great 
to to hear all those stories because he was with Elton before Elton was Elton. <laughs> it was back in the days when <laughs> Elton was a nobody. You know, he was Reg Dwight, and um, so he was with Elton when Elton went from nobody to superstar to megastar, uh, and he went with him on a couple of the tours to the United States uh, and one of the tours with Kiki D um, in the early seventies. Great stories. Anyways, it's on my, uh, my YouTube and speaker or anything. If anybody wants to listen to those interviews, they're pretty good with Stuart. So anyway, he produced four of my tracks. Oh, no, I was going to say, oh, go ahead. Uh, when, yeah, it's a good time to tell people how to find your your show, your podcast. If they want to listen to these interviews. Oh, okay. Well, my my main website is douglascolemanmusic.com, and from there you can find everything. My music's there. The podcast is there. Um, anything you'd want to know. <laughs> is is okay. just all, all linked right. from that from the main website. And I'll be sharing this on all of my social media. Um, and if you didn't get this down, you know I'll be sharing this on on Twitter and Facebook and so forth. So okay, continue from where I interrupted you. Um, no, I was just telling about uh, that the interview with Stuart is available on. Uh, well, it's on YouTube and it's on Spreaker and it's on uh, PRX, Public Radio Exchange, and TuneIn and iTunes. I think I'll. Uh, but it's it's a good interview. He did, in fact, he likes to talk a lot, and I love people who like to talk a lot on a radio show because it's great. So we did one interview and it just wasn't long enough. So I said, well, could you please come back and and we'll do a longer interview. So it was one of the few two-hour interviews that I've ever done. Um, so the two-hour show with him is is pretty in-depth, and even that went fast. I mean, even that was like, <laughs> wow, two hours is gone already. Uh, but he tells some great stories. So it's if you're an Elton John fan or, um, you know, kind of of our generation – the the seventies mm. kids that it's I think they'd find it interesting. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. And I would also say that, you know, even though like I said, you certainly have because of the people that listen to your your live bands that came and requested original songs and so forth, you know, that's definitely validation. But Stuart Epps, he doesn't he doesn't have to work with just anybody, and I would think that the fact that he wanted to work with you after you submitted a song, uh, it's like if you needed any any further validation of, of the, your talent or quality, I would think that you should look no further. Oh, I was thrilled. I was jumping up and down when I got that email. I was like, oh, my God, Stuart Epps, wow. <laughs> you know, believe me, I was... <laughs> Like a little kid again. Yeah, that was incredible validation. Uh, absolutely. You know, but again, um, not to throw water on all of this, but he can only do so much. I mean, once he produces the song, it, now it's uh-huh. up to me to promote it. Yeah. You know, okay. and the promotion is a whole, a whole nother game now 
with the internet. You can take it to a point, but I still haven't figured out how to jump over to the, the next side. I think, I'm not sure. I've, I've asked this question with other musicians. Um, you can, you can build up your social networks. You can work that thing mm-hmm. to death and start getting followers and da, 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 da. But you seem to hit a brick wall at a certain point. And I don't know how to get mm-hmm. through that to get to the next step. I, I don't know. I don't know if it, if it's hitting the road is the next step. Um, it, everything's kind of turned around because back in the old days, <laughs> you could <laughs> make a living selling albums. And, and most people can't do that. Um, even, you know, people like, I saw Barbara Streisand put out an album a couple of years ago, maybe a year ago. It sold 25,000 copies. I mean, for her, oh. that's, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Somebody who sold mm-hmm. millions and millions of records, you know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, nobody's buying music. So the, the artists now, to make a living, have to go on tour. Where it, before, going on tour was just a promotional thing for your record. You know, the bulk of the money was in the, in the record. Mm-hmm. Now the yeah. bulk of the money seems to be in live performance. You know, so I don't know. And have I'm still, you noticed uh, the trend? Trying because, to figure that one out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 going on with what what you've just said, uh, take that a step further. Have you also noticed lately how many and I don't want to say uh, oh what maybe what some uh, in the industry term legacy artist, um, you know, like yes or people, you know, Yes or Sticks or someone, um, they now have, when they tour, uh, these extra VIP packages where you can pay like an extra two or $300 and have a and get to meet the band before the show and have a picture made. And maybe you get a glass of wine and a cube of cheese and a cracker. Um, and then maybe <laughs> another $300, you sit in the front, sit in the front row. And all these things. And I've seen people just go out. And if you're a diehard fan, yeah. I'm a diehard fan on this last Utopia tour. Um, I couldn't, you know, even if I had, I couldn't swing like an extra 500 just to have a meet and greet before the show and sit in the front two rows. <laughs> That's a lot of money for a regular person. But I'm if these but if legacy artists, you know, can that are, you know, like Todd's seventy years old and out the band's out touring and on the road, if they can pull in that extra money to help them out, you know, that's wonderful for them. I'm happy for them. But, oh, well, but absolutely. have you noticed I, that with the band's I, doing this? Absolutely I have. And you know, I salute those guys that are 70 yeah. years old and out there still doing it. Um, you know, the difference was they were signed when they were 20 years old and have the connections mm-hmm. to put together a tour like that. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever get signed. So for me, I couldn't do what they do because I don't have the, the connections with a major label to get into those venues. If I, 
tried to go where they went, I wouldn't sell five tickets, you know, because people go Douglas who, they would have any idea who I was. Hey, um, and you know, and but talking yes, about, hey, talking going about back things, to. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to keep going. <laughs> no, I just was going to say, yes, I have seen the, you know, they do those packages mm-hmm. with the, the meet and greets and, um, but this this is kind of another thing that where I was saying that before people could make the bulk of their money selling albums back in those days, ticket prices were fifteen twenty dollars for major mm, bands. I can true. remember paying nine dollars and fifty cents to see Paul McCartney in nineteen seventy six, and now his tickets can be a thousand dollars if you want the front row seat. So it's pretty obvious where the money went because the labels, I think, are hurting that nobody's buying records. So they they get the money one way or the other. The promoters and the band have to get their money from live performance now. Um, but, yes, yeah, it's... Uh, you know, it's great if those guys can still pull in the audience and still still perform. I think it's great. They can perform till they're 100, you know? I think it's terrific. <laughs> I'm happy for them. I do want to still, yeah, because I talk more about, to your podcast, um, The Douglas Coleman Show. Um, and as you said, you know, and, and I'm finding this too, you can make, you have the opportunity you know, to make so many connections with people. I, I like the fact that um, with my podcast, you know, I feel like there are people that I find people do, and then I have this platform and this opportunity to share with other people. And I know that you, um, because this is the nature of podcasts, you can have, you probably have followers in the U.S., not only in the U.S. and Thailand, but, you know, in Europe and Asia, uh, all over, and it's. I just want it, It's fun, isn't it? Oh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's great fun, and the people that you meet is tremendous. And you wouldn't get to meet those people or talk to those people unless you had some kind of a a vehicle. Um, mm-hmm. And. I, I've really been enjoying the show, and the show's been doing very well. Uh, we started out doing a live show, and then this is <laughs> this will be good because we were talking about your show being live. I think it's great if you can do a live show. We did a live show for a while, but the problem was we had so many technical issues, and I would get comments from people like, oh, that was really funny that time that you were talking to yourself for three minutes and there was nobody on the <laughs> other end because the person I was talking to, you know, the the phone disconnected or, or something happened and I had no idea. And I was just talking and talking uh-huh. and talking and then, you know, hello? Who's there? Hello? <laughs> you know? And so the comments I would get would be, wow, that was really funny when and and that really wasn't the type of thing I was going for. You know, I wanted to try to put together something, you know, 
somewhat professional. Um, so I gave up on doing live and now just pre-record my interviews and then uh, edit it all together and try to put a nice little package together. But um, I've, I've been having a great time with it. I really love the people that are coming through. I can't believe the amount of emails that I get from people wanting to be on the show. And, you know, I go through every one of them and try to pick out the ones that I, I think would be interesting for the, to have on the show and something that's a little bit different. And, um, but it is a real DIY climate out there. Everybody's doing it themselves. <laughs> All the, a lot of authors, you know, who have self-published uh, thanks to the internet and a lot of musicians out there, a lot of really good talent, uh, filmmakers, mm-hmm. indie filmmakers. I've had a number of them on and some really great films. I was blown away by a couple of the films that they sent me, um, you know, screeners for. And I thought, wow. I mean, this was as good as anything I saw from Paramount or Universal, you know. For a, for a story type film, like a, a romance or a drama, obviously they can't yeah. compete doing Spider-Man or Star Wars or something like that. But just for a regular, like, tell a good story film, um, the indies are right up there with the major studios in their production quality, yeah. in the acting, in the writing, you know, mm-hmm. really impressed. Oh, yeah. Um, for people now, like I said, your show is one of the most popular podcasts out there. But for people who might be new, and, and you know, I do see a lot of people put comments under uh, different episodes of your podcast about your guests on the show. And it, they do respond to you and let you know how much they like it, which is always fantastic. But for people, if there are people who are new to your show, uh, maybe you've only heard a few of them, or um, name some of the shows. Some of your favorite shows, some of your favorite guests that you've had. Uh, oh, God. I've had so many now. Um, well, Stuart Epps definitely is mm-hmm. one of my favorite guests. <laughs> um, <laughs> I had Catherine Lee Scott on twice. Uh, she's wow. fantastic. She was in Dark Shadow. You know, you know who she is? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. She played. Yeah. She played Josette Collins. Um, and oh, Josette Dupree. Sorry, not Collins. And yeah, she was in, in a lot of other movies she's been in. She was fantastic. Um, I had Michael Alleg on, who was really interesting to talk to. I talked to him just a few years after he got out of prison. Do you know who Michael Alec is? No, I don't think I do. There was a movie made about him called Party Monster that starred Macaulay Culkin and oh, Seth yes, Green. Yes, 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 yes. And James St. James. Okay. I think it was his name. James yeah. St. James, right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Okay, well. Yeah. So I interviewed the real, the real Michael Alec <laughs> after he got out of prison. And uh, wow. that was really interesting. 
That was an interesting interview. And oh. let's see, who else? Oh, God. There's, there's, there's been, I don't know, there's, there's too many now. We've got over, I think, 200 shows that we've done already. Wow. Um, oh. So, but, you know, everybody's been good. I have had, I, I must say, knock on wood, that I, I've really had nobody that I got on the show and then thought, why did I book that person? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, have, I have not had that. So I, I've been very fortunate that the people that we've booked have all been really good, interesting people to have on the show. Well, you know, I, this this has gone by so fast, and I hate to have to say goodbye, but we do. I wanted to play one of your songs, uh, give something to me, but I still have been trying to upload it all the time that we've been talking, and I still couldn't get it up. So I am going to hopefully add that in um, in post, as we say in showbiz, add that in later. Um, and until I do, folks, I'll probably put, put something up on uh, Facebook or share it on Twitter as well. So you can see why I love I love not just as not just as a musician, Douglas, but I really like you uh your lyrics too. You're a uh, very interesting lyricist and, and that's always very appealing too when the words really have a, a special something to them. Uh you get the message across but in a different way. So I'm gonna go out with one of my songs. Everybody's got to swing, but I'll add your song in later. And everyone go to the Douglas Coleman show. And uh, you can find it on, like you said, on Spreaker, or iTunes, uh, PRX. And, like again, I'll be sharing all his links on social media. Douglas Coleman, thank you so much for being my guest tonight on Madam Perry Salon. Oh, thank you, Jenna. It was my pleasure. All right. Until next time. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.